Merry Christmas. It's good to see everybody. We are glad, as everyone has said, that you are here and hope that you'll be encouraged. You know, we happen to come upon some... We got any Dolphin fans in the house? A few? <laughs> we came upon some Dolphin tickets, okay? They are to the clubhouse. You know where the little room is where they have food and stuff in there? We've got four tickets, so we're going to give two tickets to two people, okay? And we're going to do that next week. I think they play the 49ers at home. So we got club tickets uh, to do that. And here's the way we're going to do it is everybody, because we need to move some folks to Saturday night, so everybody who comes on Saturday gets their name in a hat. We're going to draw on Saturday, give you the club tickets, to, and then you can invite a friend or a good way to, to uh, get a friend, a good way to get a, uh, a date, okay, something to that effect, and, uh, and go on Sunday. So next Saturday, if you want a chance to go to the Dolphin game, all you have to do is show up. You can't beat that, right? Just show up on Saturday, and we'll give you those tickets. Yeah, I uh, love the story, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And I like especially, I don't know how I'm going to read this here, the, uh, the beginning. It says, every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask me why. I don't really know the reason. It could be that his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Here's a picture of the Grinch. All right? You know, even the Grinch knew that there was a who to Christmas that made all the difference. And because if you read the story, right, he tries to steal Christmas, so he goes down, he takes all the presents, and he takes the hams, he takes the turkey, he takes all those things up on top of the mountain, and then he listens, hoping there'll be tears, but that's not what happens, is it? Instead, it's just the opposite. At the end of the story, it says, every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without presents at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. I love this part. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, is a little bit more. And that's what we're going to spend the next several weeks kind of talking about the who questions of Christmas. And I want to begin by talking about who was born in that manger. Who of Christmas. Because Jesus is the who of Christmas, but who is Jesus? Because I think sometimes we get Jesus a little bit confused with Old Saint Nick, all right? So, I mean, sometimes we think that Jesus is kind of like old Santa. If we're good and not bad, nice, not naughty, then he'll give us what we want, right? All you got to do is live a good life and pray, and God will give you. Sometimes I think we think that maybe he's like old Father Christmas, Oh, just a grandfather, God, sitting up there, watching everything, taking an occasional picture, 
you know, of what his kids are doing. I want to take a little, give you a little quiz, okay? It's the easiest quiz that you've probably ever taken. So pull out something to write with and on, okay? Write with and on, a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, whatever you want to write with. And I'm going to give you five questions. Are you ready? Are you guys in the balcony ready? Are you guys in the balcony? You know where you're at. <laughs> Here we go. Five questions. I'm going to give you a country, and I want you to write down what they call Santa in that country. All right? I'm going to give you a country. You write down what they call Santa. The first one is Brazil. What do they call Santa in Brazil? Have any folks who live in Brazil? From Brazil? Number two, Chile. What do they call Santa in Chile? Number three, Russia. Have any folks from Russia? No. <laughs> How about England? Number four, what do they call Santa in England? Have anybody from England? This is an American group, all right. And number five, China. China. What do they call Santa in China? All right, let's see how you did. In Brazil, and I keep, I, I, I don't really, they call Santa P-A-P-A-I. Papaya. I don't know. Papaya. You guys, anyways. P-A-P-A-I Noel. All right? That's how good my Portuguese is. Feliz Natal. All right? Papa or Papia, I don't know. Who's from Brazil? Somebody up here from Brazil? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's easy from down there. All right. Number two. Number two was Chile. And I'm not going to say this either, but I'm going to spell it for you. V-I-E-J-O-P-A-S-C-U-E-R-O. -E 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 the translation is Old Man Christmas, okay? In Chile, it's Old Man Christmas. Now, you say, if you're like Troy, I live there. That's not what it's called. I guess the Internet can be wrong, okay? <laughs> Number three, Russia. Grandfather Frost. That just doesn't sound the same ring, does it? I mean, nobody looks forward to frost. I guess they do in, in Russia. England is Father Christmas. England is Father Christmas. And then in China, it's Christmas Old Man. So in Chile, it's Old Man Christmas. And in China, it's Christmas Old Man. So it's Old Man Christmas in Chile and whatever I said. In one, it's Old Man Christmas. In the other, in China, it is Christmas Old Man. Now, you know, I think the thing about Christmas that's so challenging is it doesn't always live up to our expectations. And as a result, we kind of get disappointed that, you know, the magic of television and all the things that we expect to happen. And so I thought it would be important as we uh, quickly approach the season to ask the question as we talk about a Whoville Christmas is who is Jesus? And I think the, the story of Christmas gives us three answers to that, okay? And if you want to pull out your outline, you can write down the first one, all right? Here's the first one. He is Lord. He is Lord. Therefore, I don't have to worry. 
He is Lord, therefore I don't have to worry. When the angel came to, jo uh, to the shepherds, they were outside of Bethlehem, and the angel came to tell them about Jesus' birth. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 9. It says, they were what? Yeah, they were freaked out, and you can probably identify maybe. Maybe there's been a time in your life where you've just been terrified. Maybe it's when the doctor came in and said, uh, we found something, and you don't know what that means. Maybe it's when the person who said, I do, says, I do not anymore, and walked away. Maybe when it's a supervisor called you in and said, you know, the company's going to let go 25% of the workforce. Maybe it's when you got an unexpected bill. That sense where your heart starts to beat, you get that funny feeling in your stomach, and there's just a sense of terror. Well, that's what they felt. And the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. Or you could say, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. And I think the same thing as the angel would say to you and I. Why? The angel said, because I bring you good news. It brings great joy for all people. That's why I love my job. My job is to proclaim to you that there is good news. And wouldn't you rather get good news than bad news? Right? I mean, there's a lot of bad news in our world. It's like, no, 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 I'm going to bring you good news, and it's, just, it's not just good news. It's news that's going to bring you great joy. And here's the best part. It's for all people. It's not just for a certain tax bracket. It's not just for a certain group of people who are good at a certain skill. No, no. This good news that brings great joy is available to every single one of us. Those in the front, the back, the balcony, to the left, to the right. I mean all of us in every service and at every campus. Well, what is this good news that brings great joy to all people? The Savior, yes, the Messiah... The, and you might circle this, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Well, why is the news that the Lord has been born good news that brings great joy? The word Lord is a Greek word, kurios. In the uh, Old Testament, it is the word Yahweh. So when you see uh, in the Old Testament the word Lord, and all the letters are capitalized, L-O-R-D, um, it's the word Yahweh uh, in Hebrew, and in Greek it is kurios. It means uh, Lord. It, it means master, ruler, boss, um, CEO, owner. But here's the definition I really want you to hear. It means authority. So the angel came and the angel said, I've got some news. It's going to bring you a whole lot of joy. It's that the Lord the authority has been born. And because the authority was born that first Christmas, then you and I, we don't have to worry. It, it's kind of like if the doctor comes out and the doctor says, you know those tests that we were running to, dis to determine whether or not you had cancer? They're negative. Now, the moment you hear that, how do you feel? Relieved? A sense of joy? A sense of confidence. Now, it may not be the first time you heard that news. I mean, there may have been somebody at work, you know, one of those crazy kind of people, that when they heard you were having the test, walked over and said some kind of cantation and said, you're healed. But you, you didn't, you didn't you're, you're not like, oh, thank you, that's awesome. No, no, you went to the doctor. Why is it that when the doctor said it, you felt it, you experienced it, it's because the doctor has what? Authority in that area. And that authority said there's no cancer. 
And so you believed it and you are living your life based on what the authority had um, to say in your life. It's like a, a teacher. Let's say there's a test and you really, you know, you study for the test, you take the test, but you're a little nervous. Man, those are some tough questions. I'm, uh, you know how to do. And you come home and your mom says, honey, how'd the test go? You're like, oh, mom, I'm just, don't know, I was nervous. And, and she's like, oh, I'm sure you did just fine. Right? Now, I, it's nice that your mom believes in you, but you're still nervous. You're, you're still worried. But when your teacher looks at you and says, you made an A, it changes everything, right? It's not because you love your teacher more than you love your mom. It's because your teacher has what? Authority. And that authority says that you didn't fail, you passed. Same thing is true when I was playing athletics. If you've ever been athletics, there's some kind of referee or whatever. And I was playing basketball. And there'd be times when you'd get ready to make a move and you'd get fouled. And when you'd get fouled, you'd miss, miss the shot. In other words, they cheated. They did something against the rules that kept you from scoring a basket. And my dad would be sitting right on the front row and he would yell it, foul! But when my dad would yell, yell foul, not one time did everybody stop and they give me the basketball to shoot free throws. Not one time. But when the referee blew his whistle and he said, that's a foul, everybody stopped. They gave me the ball and I could shoot a free shot, a free throw. Nobody was even guarding me. You know why? Because he had authority. Say you're driving down the road and you get pulled over by an officer and you're not speeding. And he walks up to your car and he asks that lovable question Do you know how fast you were going? And in that moment, you have to decide whether or not you're really a Christian. <laughs> right? How are you going to answer that question? And uh, he goes ahead, he doesn't write you a warning, he or she writes you a ticket. You can't believe it, you weren't speeding. You go back home and, you know, you're hanging out at Starbucks and one of your friends is like, what's up? Oh, I got a ticket. What? Yeah, I got a ticket. I can't believe it. You know what it is? It's that, it's that down there at the courthouse. It, it, you know, they're just behind and they got to write so many tickets and it's all about money, I'm telling you. And your friend's like, well, I wouldn't pay it. <laughs> well, you're not the one that's going to go to jail. But you go to court, and you're there, and the judge takes his gavel, he hits the big desk, and he says, not guilty. You don't pay it, do you? Why? Because the judge has authority. See, that's why Christmas is such an incredible holiday that brings great joy uh, to all people is because on that first Christmas, authority was born. Authority over your illness. Authority over your life. Authority over your relationships. He is Lord. It, it reminds me of, um, I grew up in Paragould, Arkansas, a town of about 15,000 people. And I grew up on the, the tough side of town. Okay, and, and so I thought I'd show you. I grew up in Sunrise Circle. So they're going to put 
the global earth picture of Sunrise Circle up. Let me show you, okay? That house right there is where I grew up. Back here in this picture, it's not there anymore, but there used to be a pool. My dad built it out of concrete. It wasn't quite round, but it did hold water, all right? Now, Kelly and Tracy and Carrie Rubo live down here, all right? Now, let me show you the front of this house. All right, you can see in the front, there are two doors. There's one there and one there. Now, it's not because it's a duplex. I have no idea why we had two doors right next to each other. I remember growing up that one time somebody tried to break in that door. They couldn't get in, so they walked over to this door. I think they thought it was a duplex. Over here is where I learned to play wiffle ball. Right over in this area, there was a ditch. Of course, here in South Florida, we're much more dignified. We would call it a canal. But um, they had, it's a big ditch. There's lots of fish and that. And then back behind the house is where the pool was. Now, the Rubos, Carrie and Kelly and Tracy, would come and they would get the fish that lived in the ditch and they'd throw them into our pool. We'd get ready to go swimming and there'd be fish, you know, good-sized fish in our pool, catfish. They'd take dirt clods and they'd throw them into our pool. And at times, they would stand out here and they would throw them up against this side of the house. And there was one day where they're throwing them and they're mouthing off and, and my mom's freaking out. I'm under the bed because they'd already beaten me up a couple of times. And, and my mom calls my dad. And I'll, I'll, I still can see it in my mind. My dad pulls up in the driveway, you know, just right kind of in the driveway and he's driving a station wagon with wood paneling on the side <laughs> we were a cool family and he 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 gets out of the car now as soon as I hear him pull up in the driveway I get out from underneath the bed I run out on the porch the wood part wasn't there it was all concrete I run down right to where Carrie Kelly and Tracy are and I look Carrie Kelly and Tracy Rubo right in the eye and I say stop it and get out of our yard and I said it with confidence. You know, you know why I had confidence? It wasn't because all of a sudden I had, you know, taken a little steroid and was feeling strong. The reason I had confidence is because the authority had arrived. And you and I, as Christ followers, have an adversary. We have a Carrie Tracy Kelly Rubo in our lives. And there are times when they try to intimidate us. They throw dirt clods at our lives. They put things into our dreams. It's when you and I need to stand up because of Christmas, and we need to tell our adversary, you need to stop and you need to leave because the authority was born that first Christmas. He is Lord. And because he is, I don't have to worry. So he is Lord. Here's the next thing. And I want you to think about, when you think about Christmas, you have the wise men that show up, right? We got three of these dudes. We got one here. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how many, but we think there are three because, right, they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we got one dude here, one dude here, and then the, the guy with the... the, the the myrrh, he's over here. What, these gifts are gifts of what? They're royalty. Why? Because he is Lord. So when you think about the wise men, you need to be reminded he is Lord. Who is Jesus? He is Lord. Secondly, he is Emmanuel. And because he's Emmanuel, I'm not alone. In 
Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. This is a prophecy, okay? Look what it says. It says, and the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin, Mary, will conceive a child who was Jesus. She will give birth to a son, Jesus, and we will call him what? Emmanuel, which means, and read it out loud with me if you would, at all of our campuses, which means God, yeah, God is with us. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, you see this prophecy actually fulfilled when the angel is talking to Joseph. You know, it reminds me of the star in the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 2, the star is very prominent because the star is what brings the wise men or the magi to where, where Jesus was living at the time. And stars aren't always visible, but they are always present. It's just you can't see them. They're there. You just can't see them because of the bright sunlight. And I think that God, in the same way, we, he's always there. He's Emmanuel. It's just that, well, we don't always see him. And it's in those moments that our faith is really, uh, really tested out. Now, it's important that he's Emmanuel. It's important that he's always there. Because he's always there, I just listed a few things that that means. Because they aren't the holidays can be lonely, can't they? I mean, be, when, I remember when we first moved here, we didn't have any family. We just moved here so we didn't have any friends. And we didn't have any money, so we couldn't go anywhere. And, you know, we had left our house. We were living in a mobile home, which just felt different than a house. And it, just, it was just lonely. It wasn't bad. It was just lonely. Holidays can sometimes be, they can be lonely because you're maybe in a new place and, and, and you don't have family yet or you don't have friends and maybe you don't have the, the, the resources. I think another time when we're lonely is when we're hurting. And whether that be emotional pain or whether that be physical pain because nobody else can feel what you're feeling. They can have compassion. They can care. Even when you're caring for somebody who's hurting, like if it's your spouse, it's a lonely feeling. Because you see their pain, but you can't make it go away, and you can't enter into it. So it's important that we are reminded that at Christmas, he is called Emmanuel. He is with us. Therefore, he, I put in your outline, understands me. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, So then, since we have a great high priest who entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest, Jesus, he, what's it say? Understands. That's pretty cool. The God of the universe understands. And what does he understand? Our weakness. He understands our fear. He understands our loneliness. And he doesn't understand it because he read about it. What does that scripture say? He understands it because he's experienced it. God is with me, and because he's with me, he understands what I'm dealing with, the struggles, the temptations, the failures, even the loneliness sometimes of success. He is Emmanuel. He understands. He is Emmanuel, therefore he also has compassion on me. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, when he saw the huge crowds, he had what? compassion on them. Why? Because they were confused and helpless. The words confused and helpless mean torn and thrown down. You ever feel like that? You ever feel confused? You're not sure what direction to go? You ever feel torn, maybe thrown down, forgotten, stabbed in the back, you know, left to fail? 
Well, the scripture says that not only does he understand that, he has compassion for that. Now, we as human beings often judge. It's easy for us to judge. To judge the mistakes that people make. To judge the bad decisions, the, the, the bad ideas. But that doesn't say. Jesus was looking down at people who had made bad decisions. Who had chose not to trust him at that time. And yet he doesn't look at them with a sense of judgment. You know, oh my gosh, why didn't they do this? Why? No, no. He looks at them with a sense of compassion. God's with us. And he has compassion for me. He understands the fact that I fail. He understands that sometimes we make bad decisions. And he doesn't just see my hurt. He feels it. He understands, and he also protects me. I love this scripture. This is a cool one. Isaiah 8, 10, because there's some power in it. He says, call your councils of war, but they're worthless. Develop your strategies, but they will not succeed. Why? For God is with us. Isn't that awesome? Because I think of you and I, we have an adversary and it's like in Isaiah, we're being told that we need to look at our adversary and say, hey, you know what? You can do whatever it is you want. You can get whoever it is that you want. You can try to, be you can try to beat me down. You can try to take my position. You can try to take from me my resources. But here's the truth. There's nothing you as my adversary can do to keep me from my destiny. Because it's not based upon my strength or my ability. It is based on the fact that he, all-powerful, for all-knowing, everywhere at one time, is with me. I have my positioned myself with him. And he's never going to leave me. Matthew 28, 20. These are the words of Jesus himself. And be sure of this. I am with you. What? What's it say? Always. That's right. Christmas, man. Christmas is awesome because he is king. He is Emmanuel. He is Lord, therefore he's all-powerful. He is Emmanuel, therefore he is everywhere. And he is Messiah. He's all-knowing. Because then I am rescued from my accuser. He is Messiah. I am rescued from my accuser. Messiah is the Hebrew word. The Greek word is Christ. So when you see the, the, in the New Testament, you see the word Christ, it literally means uh, Messiah. In Luke chapter 2, in the Christmas story, it says the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find the baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Isn't that a weird sign? What's the sign? Swaddling clothes, you know. You find him wrapped in a cloth. We have a cloth here, a little linen cloth. And it says that that's the sign. Jesus is going to be wrapped in this. But it wasn't just a cloth, right? It was, uh, some translations talk about swaddling uh, clothes. You know, they, they, this is a modern day. It's called swaddle me, okay? It's for babies. It's, it's like, I guess, what, what Jesus had. It's, uh, this, is what it, this is what it looks like. I'm not exactly sure how it goes, okay, where the head goes and that. But if you look at the picture, it wraps around, it wraps around the baby, okay. It, it, if, you, if you look at it, I was studying about this, and it's kind of between a diaper and a blanket and a, and a onesie kind of deal. It just all kind of fits there together. It, it was something that only the wealthy had. But Mary and Joseph weren't wealthy. 
So somebody had to give it to him. Now, think about it. You have this sign of wealth being laid, not at the Four Seasons, but in a cave, in a barn, in a manger, a feed trough. So it's this beautiful picture of wealth wrapped in humility or laid in humility, power laid in humility. It's God reminding us that he is all-powerful, that he owns all the cattle on all the hill, and yet he's approachable because there is the humility. And I want you to see this power. It's found in the last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. It says, it has come at last, the authority, right? Christmas, he is Lord, he has authority, the authority of his Christ or Messiah for the accuser. What's he do with this authority? The accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down or defeated to the earth. The one who accuses them. Who is them? You and me. Who accuses us before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb. Accused. It's horrible to be accused, isn't it? In I grew up, like I told you, in Paragold, and in Paragold, I have a cousin, his name. He's a few years older than me. His name is Troy Dean Gramling. My name is Troy Dean Gramling. So we have the very same name, and we grew up in a town of like 15,000 people. I mean, it's not like my, I mean, it's my dad's brother's son, for goodness sake. It's not like my dad didn't know. I guess he really liked him. Um, and sometimes it worked out pretty good for me. I remember... Um, when I got ready to register for school at Arkansas State University, and they said, well, Troy, you, you, you can't register. You've already graduated. I'm like, well, give me my diploma, okay? That sounds good to me. But at other times, he was a carpenter and evidently went through some financial difficult times, and so he was late on some payments. And when Steph and I got married, and we went to get a washer and dryer, and I guess we were going to finance it and everything, and I remember that the, the guy said, well, we, we can't finance this. He said, first of all, you've got like four or five cars, and you're late. And I said, well, what? And he told me like the, what the cars were. Well, they weren't my cars. They were my cousin's cars. I, I wasn't late. He was late. I was being accused. It's not a good feeling, is it? And yet, isn't that what the enemy does? Doesn't he accuse? Doesn't he remind you of all the times you've screwed up? All the things that you've thought that really you shouldn't have? The anger you express that mm, the places that you've gone, the things that you have done. And it's not like you're not guilty. You are. And he continues to remind you, it's so bad that for some of us, that's why it's hard to come to the house, because we just feel guilty. It's like, is the, is the ceiling going to fall? Ever had somebody tell you that? The accuser. Well, the scripture says that on that first Christmas, the Messiah was born, and the Messiah was power wrapped in humility, and it was that power that threw down or defeated our accuser. And it's and understand, how did he do it? He did it by his blood. See, it's not that you're not guilty. You are. You did it. You had those thoughts. I had those thoughts. I expressed that anger. We went to that place. We did that thing. I mean, it, we, it's not that we're not guilty. That's what makes it so hard. 
you had the affair. I mean, you broke up the marriage. You cheated on your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You're addicted to that substance and it's destroyed your life. You are the reason that you've lost that job. And the enemy reminds you again and again. But remember, it is Christmas. Good news that brings great joy to all people, not just to those who have never done anything, but to all people. Because when the enemy rises to remind you of everything you have done, that is when the Messiah stands and says, you need to sit down because that has been paid for. You have been given a second chance, a new beginning, and a fresh start because He is Messiah. And the accuser has been defeated. Now here's my question this Christmas. Is He your Lord? Is He your Emmanuel? Is He your Messiah? Have you ever put your trust in him? Or do you just kind of leave him in the manger? And in a month or so, you'll wrap him up and put him back in the closet. Maybe take him out at Easter. Or maybe when things get difficult. Or will this Christmas be different? Will you truly trust him? Surrender to him as Emmanuel. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you as Messiah who will throw down your accusers and as Lord, the authority over everything in your life. Would you bow your head? Like I said, I, I, I want to give you an opportunity and the way that I'm going to do this today is that if you're here and you need Jesus to be your to be the authority, to be the power. You need him to be Emmanuel, to give compassion and understanding and protection, to know that he is there. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray together. I'm not going to ask you to go anywhere or do anything, but if God has found your chair, whether it be right on the front row or whether it be the last row in the balcony. If God has tapped you on the shoulder or spoke to your heart, that this Christmas is the Christmas to be different. Lord, Emmanuel, and Messiah, would you just stand with everybody's head bowed and everybody's eyes closed? Just stand right there where you are, and then we're going to pray together. It's just between you and God. As I pray out loud, just kind of pray quietly there where you stand.
understand me. You will protect me. You have compassion for me. You will never leave me. And you are my Messiah. The enemy is defeated. I get a second chance, a new beginning, and a fresh start. Forgive me for doing life my way, and I am committing to doing life your way. Thank you. Thank you for that birth in a manger. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Amen. Let's give God a hand. Can we do that?